I rejoice in being able to be here this morning and, and also especially the reason that we're here. The reason for that is the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, greet you in his name, uh, the worthy name of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning that we heard so much about and yet uh, we could talk all day about him and we just scratch the surface. So, Daniel already alluded to uh, the message this morning, uh, at least in part. I, I do plan to preach on that. Um, plan to preach on the, you call it the abundant life, but for the next two messages, not, not only the message this morning, but the next message as well. So, I want to break that up in the statement there, or the phrase there that Jesus used that Jesus stated, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm going to break that up in two messages. And uh, uh, while they both uh, revolve around the abundant life, and uh, but uh, as far as to give them message titles, the first part there, um, I am come that they might have life. I like to think of that message as life in the Lord Jesus. And then the, uh, the second message, if the Lord tarries and lets me live till the next time that I preach. Um, and that they might have it more abundantly. I like to call that message life beyond the comma. Uh, so we'll leave that for the next time. Now, the text uh, that I want to read this morning, we'll read a few verses there in John chapter 10. We'll read from 9 through, through uh, 10. Now, the, if we look at the, uh, consider the, the setting here, the context and what was going on here in the Gospel of John. Chapter 9, we have uh, where the blind man was healed. And so there was, uh, you know, controversy, there was questions, there was oppositions, there was accusations against Jesus for doing what he did and so forth. And uh, the group there, uh, the group there consisted of, I don't know what all people or who all people they were, but there were Jews and there were scribes and there, or there were Pharisees. Does it mention scribes in chapter nine? I'm not sure, but it does mention about the Pharisees. But there was a multitude of people there. And um, of course, they uh, were calling into question what happened. And then in verse 10, or chapter 10, he goes on and speaks about him being the door and the good shepherd. And he is all that the good shepherd of mankind. But then, uh, beginning reading in uh, verse 7, it says, Then said Jesus unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. We see a lot of that nowadays, don't we? This is what Jesus said that his mission is, was and still is. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. 
life in the Lord Jesus. He has come that we might have life. It's still his mission this morning. He's not here present bodily as he was then. But it has not changed. It's still his mission this morning. And uh, I think about Jesus as he taught the people and as he preached and so forth. You know, he would... uh, when Jesus taught and preached, he'd look into a sea of faces, hundreds of them sometimes, thousands he would look into their faces. And uh, all kinds of faces. You look into people's faces, and I'm not here to scrutinize you, by the way, this morning, but uh, faces often do reveal something, don't they? I think they do. I think you can, we can't exactly see what's going through their minds, but so... Um, uh, Jesus would look into those faces, and I'm sure those faces, he would, he, would, he would look at those faces and he would see many different kinds of faces. But uh, they, they basically all needed one thing. They needed him. That would be different, wouldn't it, if you'd get up and preach and you knew the people needed you. Now here, we're just, we're standing aside, and that's what we should do. We're pointing to Jesus. But Jesus knew as he preached, he knew that they needed him. And he came to give them life. So, this morning as we look at faces, I'm looking for something. And it's not what you had for breakfast either on your faces. So what, what, what am I looking for? Anyone care to just venture? I don't mean to put you on the spot. I'm looking for something. Hunger for the word. What's that? Hunger for the word. Yes, that's one. There, there's a number of things. Definitely is. And that's a, that's a good answer. But I, I'm looking for faces that show the life of the Lord Jesus in their face. I'm looking for faces that are lit up because they personally know Jesus Christ as their Savior. That'd be so, that's so different. Have you ever thought, I don't know if you other ministers ever thought about how different our preaching is today in general than what our Lord had and the apostles and, and those in the past when, when there was persecution and so forth. You know, the faces they looked at were often faces were, you know, they were, they were maybe stern countenances. They were, they were, oh, you, you could write pages of what those faces probably showed. But the point is, then and this morning, too, we basically need the same thing. We all need the same thing. We need the life of the Lord Jesus in our, in our life. We need that so much. So, so for this message this morning, I just like to think of, of uh, life in the Lord Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of John tells us that uh, he can. What does that John? John says this about about Jesus: "In Him was life, and the life was the light of men." I like that verse. In Him was life. How can that be? The Jews, you know, they strove among themselves. They said, "How can this man give him give us his flesh and blood? How can how can he give us life?" Well, it was part, I suppose, of their critical attitude they had toward him that helped them to relate in that way. So, 
I think it's a challenge for us today. Those of us who have the life of the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart, that uh, it's a challenge for us that uh, what do we see? What do faces today? What do they convey? Are we concerned? Do we, do we care? What do they convey? Now, Proverbs 15, verse 13 says, A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance. Other translations say, A joyful heart maketh a cheerful countenance. And that's why I asked the question, or that's why I said I'm looking for something this morning. I'm looking for a joyful countenance on your face. And if you don't have it, why don't you have it? Why don't you have it? You know, the story is told of a, of a um, group of miners that were mining in one of the gold rushes. And um, what they would do, those miners, when they were out mining, and, and they would find what they thought, if they found what they thought was gold, they had to take it, you know, back into headquarters or wherever they took it to make sure it wasn't fool's gold or fake gold, if you know what I mean by that. And so the story is told that this one miner went in one day with, with uh, some, uh, some gold or something he thought might possibly be gold. So he went in, and sure enough, it was the real thing. Well, a lot of times, I guess, when they did that, other miners were there too, and they were observing this and these things. And so they, they watched, you know. Somebody went in, well, you know, maybe he has it or... It, and I'm sure it was a rarity. But anyways, the story goes that this miner came out after he was told this is the real thing. This miner came out, and uh, the other miners there observed him, and they said, he has got it. He has got it. How could they tell? Can someone tell me? How did they know he had it? They could see it. They said they can see it on his face. He's got it. He's got it. Now, let me ask you something. If a little bit of gold lights up a man's face, how much more should life in the Lord Jesus light our faces? But it usually doesn't work that way, does it? Not like it should. Now, it does. Now, I, I, I want to make it clear. It does. It often does. Lights up people's lives and hearts. But you think about that what a little bit of gold can do to the natural man's face. How much more should life in the Lord Jesus light up man's face or light up our faces this morning? We should have the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And I appreciate, I don't see, a, I'm not looking around and going down benches seeing sad faces or anything. Now we have things sometimes that weigh us down. But in the midst of all that, we can still have the joy of the Lord, and we're called to have the joy of the Lord. And I think that, you know, well, yeah, we, we are. Now, another thing I thought about as far as countenances being a revealer, and I'm not proud of this, but as, a, the, as the, um, the youth gang that, that I used to associate with, we, we wasted many hours playing poker, many, many hours playing poker. But my point is, there was one, one individual there, and I still think of him today. We could always tell when he had a good hand. And we would, 
you know, we would make fun of him probably. And I would say, you can just see it. Look at him. He's got a good hand. He's got an ace or a spade or a king or whatever. And he just couldn't hide it. Now, my point being is how much more should our faces radiate the love of Jesus Christ if we have the life of God in our, in our heart? It should, it should just show. We, we, can't, we can't hide it. We, can't, we shouldn't, shouldn't be able to hide it. The life that Jesus gives lights up our, lights up our, our faces. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is a chapter there where it speaks about, refers to Moses when he was there, uh, when he had, uh, uh, was up in the mountain and uh, the tables of stone were written there. You know, we, you know the story where he come, came down off of the mountain there after being God's presence and his face shone so much that he had to put a veil over it because he had been in God's presence. Uh, we know that account. But it goes on to say there that in that scripture there it says, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? We have something this morning to really light our faces too. And, uh, you know, I guess we probably just don't think about it enough. We just don't think about of what we have, that how our faces should be lit up, that people can see something. And... Um, you know, <clears throat> there was this individual that once went into a place of business, and there was a group of men there and um, talking about, you know, everyday things and so forth. And uh, the owner looked at that individual, and he said, look at that. That man's smiling. He's happy. And the individual said this way. He said, well, he said, I have God as my father, Christ is my Savior and a home in heaven. I have every reason to be happy. We don't think about it uh, probably as much as we should, but we should be, and that should mark our countenance. That should, we should, you know, that, that should be seen on us. Paul, in writing to the church at Colossae in uh, chapter 1, he uh, refers to a mystery and he's speaking about the things of God. It refers to a mystery that has been hid from ages, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery, he goes on to say. You know what it is? He goes on and tells us what it is. He said, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. That mystery. I left some out there. To whom God would make known what, the, what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, you and I, not just those who are Jews by nature, but it's handed down to us who are Gentiles by nature. And see, he says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we need to remember that. Christ in you, Christ in me, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ came to give us life. He came and he gave us life. All whosoever will. But Christ within, I don't believe, can be hid. I don't think we can hide it. Why would we want to hide it? But we do need to remind ourselves. And that's part of the, 
part of the, uh, or the reason for the message this morning. And so, if you're here this morning and you don't have that life, why don't you have it? Why don't you have the life? Do you have the life? Do you have it? The world says, get a life. You ever heard that statement? They say, get a life. What do they mean by that? I thought, what do they really mean? What does it mean to get a life? Well, the kingdom of this world has their definition, of course, and I don't think we have to spend a lot of time on that. But it's not the life. Their definition of it is not the life that the Lord Jesus is speaking about and that he wants to give today, that he came to give and he's, and he's giving today for whosoever will. It is that which John, or not John, but in John 4, we came through that in our Sunday school lesson not too long ago, when Jesus met the woman at the well there. And um, Jesus told her, he said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. Woman was referring to, I'm just breaking in there, and the woman was referring to, say, you know, said, well, you know, give me, give me, a, she, she said, give me a, this water that I don't have to come here and draw water, that I don't thirst. But Jesus said, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, him or her, shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give shall be in him a well of water spring up into everlasting life. That's what he wants to give. That's what Jesus gives this morning. When you talk about getting a life and what does it mean to get a life, that's what Jesus is referring to. That's getting a life. And there, you think about that. There at Jacob's well, that poor woman, she got a life. For what we can tell, she found out there in the shade of Jacob's well, as she met the Lord Jesus, she got a life. Now, I suppose she had to keep on getting water uh, and so forth. But I'm sure her whole outlook had changed in life. It changed her whole outlook in life. And that's what it does. That's precisely what that does. When we, when we uh, receive the life, the life that the Lord Jesus gives, it changes. Things change. And for the woman there, we know she went into town and she said, hey, out here's a man that told me everything I did. Is this not the Christ? It seems she had a faith that we were uh, discussing our Sunday school lesson this morning. Seems she had a faith that the religious people of her day didn't, weren't able to grasp and put their arms around. But she found what it is. And if there was ever a person, if there was ever a person that needed to get a life, I believe it was that poor woman. Now there's, you know, multitudes and multitudes and millions that same way. You and I, we're not any better. I know so well. I remember so well what it was like. And I appreciated this song that Sam, I think it was you, Sam, that picked that last song that I was sinking deep in sin far from the peaceful shore. Oh, the emptiness of a life. A life that you can't hardly put up with yourself. You know what that is? You know what that feels like? Maybe some of you have never experienced that, but you, you, get, you actually get sick and tired of yourself. 
You can't hardly stand yourself. You think you're having good times, whether it's playing, like I said, poker or whatever, but you can't, when it's all over, you can't hardly stand yourself. This morning, it's so wonderful that we, like the woman there at Jacob's well, we can get a life. If we don't have it, we can get a life. Christ came, as he said, I'm come that they might have life. He came to give life. Contrast that. Think about that. The, um, with the emptiness of an empty life. Thinking about in... Uh, some of our past interviews, and, and uh, we asked the young people, uh, in this case it was, where uh, some applicants were, and we asked them for their testimony. Now, you know, we, we hear different testimonies, and they're good, they're all good. But one especially that to me stands out, that I uh, till, still, uh, that I uh, think was, was, uh, was uh, so real to life, this individual said, he just said, life was empty. There, there had to be more to life. Had to be, there's more to life than what I was experiencing. You know, if, if anyone is here this morning and life is empty, it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault. Jesus came as he said, I am come to give them life. He came to give life, to give meaning to life, to give us a life that's worth living and uh, something that we have is worth living. Sure, we have to occupy, but let me tell you this morning, there's more to life than building pallets or building houses or farming and as much as we may enjoy it. Those things are not, they may have a sense of fulfillment in that we labor with our hands, but they don't give us eternal life, not in and of themselves. They're part of the plan that, that we need to, by the sweat of our brow, uh, earn our bread. But that's not life. That's not the life. You know, you think, well, I'd like to do such and such as a career profession, but that's not life. That's not, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Those things will just, eventually, they can leave us empty. They can. Uh, I thought of the poem that uh, well-known, beloved American uh, poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and he wrote a lot. He wrote he wrote good poetry, but I thought of this the one that he wrote here. And I think of an empty life and so forth. I'm just going to read a little bit of it here. It says, this is what he wrote. Tell me not in mournful numbers. Life is but an empty dream. For the soul is dead that slumbers and things are not what they seem. Life is real. Life is earnest. And the grave is not its goal. Thus thou art to dust returnest. Was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way. But to act that each tomorrow finds us further than today. Art is long and time is fleeting. And our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating funeral marches to the grave. And there's more there, but I'll leave off there. And I don't know, beyond uh, 
Longfellow's uh, poetic ability and his poetic inspirations, I'm not sure how much spiritual depth were there. And we don't have to decide that this morning. But he does make a point here when he says that, tell me not in mournful, mournful numbers, life is but an empty dream. He does make a point there. There's more to life than that. Now, that maybe kind of a, maybe he kind of used what we would say a nominal approach there and so forth. But God has more for us in life than that. Life is not just to be an empty dream. It's a life to be lived for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then uh, there's other things that uh, uh, are involved in life as well. And the uh, the point is, when we experience life in the Lord Jesus Christ, when we experience the meaningful life that Jesus came to give us, when we experience life in the Lord Jesus, these other things look different. They take a total different aspect. We look at them differently. And, uh, you know, whether then when, whether we're building pallets or houses or farm or whatever, we're doing it for the Lord, aren't we? Because we love the Lord. And it just, it just adds dimensions to our work. I have found it that way. And it just does. And, uh, you know... If we could just do a better job to do some of the things that nature does sometimes, I think we would find life more enjoyable. This, let, me, let me give you just one case. I go down to our mill at, you know, soon after 5 o'clock in the morning. And these winter mornings, summer, it's bitterly cold. But I walk into the mill and I turn on the lights. And there's a little Carolina wren. Maybe there's two of them, but I... And there, as soon as I hit that switch and start walking to the meal, it begins to sing. And it sings its heart out. It seems almost the colder it is. And, you know, I, I'm more of a morning person. I'm not one of these morning, I'm not one of these people that has the pre-coffee grumps and things like that. But after a while sometimes, it, it kind of even gets to me. I, mean, I think to myself, oh, come on now, it's about enough. But it'll just sing and sing until we kick the machinery on, and I don't know what it does then. But there it is. I, you know, I can't help but think of God and God's order. It's that little wren is just singing its heart out. And it's, I don't know, God, I don't know how, how that all is, but God puts something in his creation where it says, you know, the invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that, that are. I think I'm saying that right. The invisible things of God are clearly seen by the things that are. And so, you know, we see those things. God's, God's uh, nature and uh, the animal kingdom seemingly does a better job, could we say a much better job sometimes, uh, than in displaying the life. They don't have spiritual life, but God gives them life, even the little sparrow, and it seems like they can do a better job filling that place than I can at times. So anyways, all right. Well, I'd just like to challenge us and call us and make an appeal to us this morning. If you have the life, or if you don't, if you have the life, is it manifested on your countenance, do you see it? What are you doing? How is it?
How is it being displayed? Life in the Lord Jesus. And I guess picture our Lord again, just as he looked, looking at sea of faces that he faced so many times and how he burned inside because he, he desired to come and to give those people life. And he knew what a life-changing experience it would be. And I can only imagine, and I know I can't even to depth, how, how he must have felt when he saw the woman at the well, for example, that she connected there and she responded versus people by the hundreds that he's here to give life. He, he came to give life when he was here and that has, mission has not stopped. It's still an ongoing mission. He's here to give life this morning. And, um, and yet, so sad, vast majority of people, scripture tells us, turn away. Uh, in fact, there was that one verse I think we had in our Sunday school this morning. How, where was that verse? Yeah, I, uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 40, Abner uh, referred to it, or we, we read it there, I think. Verse 40, it says, and ye, these are the words of Jesus, and he said, and ye will not come to me that ye might have life. Isn't that something? That's exactly what we're talking about. You will not come. People will not come that they may have life. Why wouldn't you? Why would you want a life that's so empty and um, meaningless and not worth living? Not worth living. Why would you want that? I don't know. Why, you know. Yeah, you just... So our human nature just wants to take its own way. Okay, just a few more scriptures here. If you don't have life, I would just like to say to anyone, not only here this morning, but our messages we carry forth to people should be choose life. Choose life. And I thought of, of uh, Moses as he was coming to the end of life there, his, some of his final preaching and messages to the children of Israel and his appeal that he made to them. And one such like is there in Deuteronomy 3, verse 19. Moses, this is what Moses' appeal was to the children of Israel. He said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. You see, the consequences aren't only for me personally or you personally, but what about our posterity? What about those who will come after us if the Lord tarries? We choose our our decision to choose life does not only affect us, does not only affect me, but it can affect, or it should have, should it affect our posterity and those to come after us. And I think that was Moses' appeal. God has set, just like the same here, God has set, as Moses said, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I've set before you life and death, 
blessing and cursing. That's still, that's still God has set before he's created humanity today. He set, he has set before them life and death, blessing and cursing. And so our message that we carry forth this morning as the people of God should always be choose life. Choose life. Why will you die? Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel um, carried forth the message from God when he said, God said, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked should turn from his way and live. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That was God's message through the prophet Ezekiel. Find that in Ezekiel chapter 33. Remind us again of the scripture in John's gospel in chapter 1, verse 4. And remind you of that scripture again. In him, John said, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. In him was life. That is amazing. And then in John 5.24, we, we, we went over, we uh, covered that in our Sunday school lesson just recently. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word, you see there's conditions there, and believeth, on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life. And then a few more in 1 John five twelve, He that hath the Son has life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. 1 John 5.20 And we know that the Son of God is come and has given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true even in his Son Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. And may I add, a life worth living. A life-changing experience. So the point is, the message this morning is Jesus came to give us a life. If you don't have a life, get it. If you don't have, have it, we're in a sense, we're dead while we live. If we don't have a spiritual life, we're dead while we live. Let's kneel for prayer.